Um, all right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit now. Um, last week, we started a new nine-week uh, fall sermon series, and I told you a little bit about a book that I read last year that, um, by author Alan Noble, and this book really inspired me. Uh, it challenged me, and uh, it gave me sort of the idea or some of the ideas for this series um, and I warned you that we would be spending uh, some time diagnosing something that's wrong in our lives um, and something that's wrong in our world. And uh, the first few weeks might feel kind of depressing because we need an accurate diagnosis before we can ever talk about what to do about it. Um, and then I pretty much spent the entire sermon uh, making one simple observation, and it's this. Most of us, most of the time, if we're honest, feel exhausted, anxious, and empty. Now, um, one of our elders came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, you didn't have to spend a whole sermon on that. Like, I agreed with you the minute you said it. And uh, I think that's true for a lot of us. Like, we feel that and we, we carry that. But maybe there's a lot of us who feel it, but we don't really want to admit it. Uh, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to slow down enough to say this is actually true and this is the way I often feel. Um, now, also, just to clarify, um, I'm not talking about the normal or natural aspects of our life that can sometimes be tiring, right? If you have a physically demanding job, um, maybe you work in food service or you're an elementary school teacher or you work in a warehouse or, or in construction, right? It's normal for you to be tired at the end of the day when you come home from your job. Um, or maybe uh, you're a new parent and your baby is not on the same sleep schedule as you, right? And that is exhausting. Or perhaps uh, you're sick or, or there's a, a health issue you've been battling or a physical illness or limitation. That can be exhausting as well. Uh, but those kinds of challenges are the kinds of challenges that people in all times and all cultures and all places have faced in their lives. And it feels like there's something different today. It feels like uh, the, the kind of um, exhaustion and emptiness that we're feeling is, is more intensive, uh, more sweeping, and, and just a, a normal aspect of our everyday lives in, in ways that we've never felt before. It feels like the kind of Exhaustion or emptiness that we often feel isn't seasonal and it's not circumstantial. It's simply become the new normal. And it feels like we're constantly just pushing this boulder up a hill. And we're never really arriving. We're always pushing. We're always toiling. We're always behind. And we've just resigned ourselves to the fact that this is the way life is. So today, I want to begin to answer the question, why do we feel this way, right? And why are we exhausted and empty all the time? And it's not as simple as saying, well, it's because we're just too busy. It's just because we work too hard. It's because we're on our phones too much. It's because the, the news cycle is, is so overwhelming. Of course, all of those things play a role. But I want to suggest uh, there's something bigger and way more foundational that there is a fundamental belief or idea or a creed that is behind so much of our exhaustion and emptiness. It's an idea that we've all embraced. It's a creed that we all live by. 
It's a belief that is at the foundation of our modern Western culture. And for most of us, it's really all we've ever known and lived by. In fact, it is like the air that we breathe. So, so much so that when I tell you what it is in just a second, you're going to be a little bit like, what? Like, I don't, I don't get it, right? And so I'm going to have to spend some time unpacking this because it is the air we breathe, and yet it is the air that's actually killing us. So uh, here it is. I call it the deep creed of modernity, and it's this. I am my own, and I belong to myself. I am my own, and I belong to myself. Uh, Alan Noble says this is both an exhilarating and a terrifying thought. It's an exhilarating thought because um, it means a few things. It means, first, I am able to make meaning of my life. Right? That's what makes us as humans unique from all other uh, animals, right? Animals only know how to survive and they, they act on instinct. They have this deep instinct that pushes them to, to find food and, and to find shelter and to protect themselves and to produce offspring. And of course, we have those instincts as well, but we are different. We are self-aware. We are self-conscious. No other animal is like that. We can reflect on the meaning of our own lives. Uh, my cat, Ollie, can't do that. He just lays around all day, and, which is nice, but he doesn't lay around all day and ponder the deep meaning of his life. He's not searching for direction or purpose in his life. He just sort of eats and sleeps and poops, and it sounds like a nice life, right? But, but we're different. We can make meaning of our lives. Uh, I am my own and I belong to myself also means I am on a journey of self-discovery, right? My journey is to figure out who I am. Your journey in life is to figure out who you are. And, and this is why some of us love personality assessments like Enneagram or, or Myers-Briggs or DISC or Strength Finder because they help us figure out who we are. It's why others of us hate personality assessments, right? Because you're one of those people that's like, you can't put me in a box. You can't tell me who I actually am. Only I can figure out who I am. Uh, this is why every great story and every great film in our culture is about the journey of self-discovery. Think about all of the heroes, right? From, from Ray Skywalker to Peter Parker to pretty much every Disney movie, right? In the beginning, the hero is told exactly who they're supposed to be by their parents or by some authority figure or, or by some uh, aspect of society. And they learn pretty quickly everyone else is wrong about them. And then they embark on a journey of self-discovery. Now, they're often having to save the world at the same time, right? But there's this journey of self-discovery where they can't listen to anyone else except for that one wise sage like Yoda, right? Who comes to them and says, only you can forge your own path. Only you can create your own identity. Only you can look deep within yourself to discover who you really are. See, if I am my own, and I belong to myself, then I'm on the journey of self-discovery. It also means I am free to be my own authentic self. Don't do what anyone else is telling you to do. Don't be what anyone else is telling you to be. Don't wear what anyone else is telling you to wear. Be your own true authentic self. 
Uh, Think about the slogans that we repeat to ourselves over and over. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You be you. Speak and live your own truth. Uh, This is Elsa singing. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. All together now. Let it go. Let it go. Right? Right? Let it let go of what everyone else says. You are free to figure out exactly who you are. And as I said, uh, this is the air we breathe. It's every great movie we watch. It's every great song we sing. It's what we tell our kids. It's what we tell ourselves. That I am my own and I belong to myself. But it hasn't always been this way. This is not the way that people have always viewed themselves. I call it the deep creed of modernity because historians and and sociologists and philosophers recognize this is a relatively new idea in human history. Uh, Just real quickly, if I could fly through modern history in about 30 seconds, the idea that I am my own and belong to myself is it's grounded in enlightenment philosophy and thinking that comes from the 1600s and 1700s. It's nurtured uh, by the rise of individualism and democracy and capitalism and the industrial revolution that takes place in the 1800s and early 1900s. So the seeds of this creed actually go back a few hundred years, but, but three massive shifts took place in Western culture over the last roughly 75 years or so, since about the end of World War II. First, There's mass consumerism, which really took off in the 1950s and 60s. And then there's mass distrust of institutions and authorities that took off in the 60s and the 70s and 80s, right? Think Vietnam, Watergate scandal, savings and loan scandal, televangelist scandal, right? Iron Contra scandal. And then, of course, mass information exchange through technology, which has been increasing exponentially since the 1990s. And we could spend so much time talking about all of these historical shifts, and believe me, I would love to do that. Uh, But the larger point is that really these have created a new age that we are living in where we have a fundamentally different belief about ourselves than people believed throughout all of human history. Uh, There's a philosopher named Charles Taylor. He's probably the most well-known, greatest living philosopher of thought and culture. And he calls this age that we live in now, since about the 1960s to now, the age of authenticity. And here's how he describes it. It's the understanding of life that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it is important to find and live out one's own way as against or uh, instead of surrendering to conformity with a model imposed from the outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. In other words, nobody else can tell me how to live or what to do. I am my own and I belong to nobody else but myself. Now, uh, as I said, Alan Noble describes this creed or this idea as both exhilarating and terrifying. It's exhilarating because of the journey, right? The journey of of self-discovery, the process, because I can throw off the shackles of what everyone else says and I get to decide who I want to be in life. 
It's terrifying because that's a tremendous burden to bear, right? The belief that I am my own and I belong to myself, it comes with seemingly great freedom, but also unbearable responsibilities. Uh, now, Noble calls these the responsibilities of self-belonging. And I want to share a few with you. I've, I've simplified some of his language a bit. Um, but first, if I am my own and belong to myself, then I am responsible for creating and expressing my identity. Which is overwhelming. Because society offers us endless identity possibilities, especially now. And you get to customize and create your own, right? That's really fun when we're talking about ordering coffee at Starbucks. And you get to just customize and pick your own. And I can pick all these different options that nobody else has ever picked, right? That's overwhelming when you're talking about your identity. How do you figure out who you really are? And for most of us, what we really need is external validation, Right? Identity requires the acknowledgement and affirmation of other people. And that's not a good or bad. That's just true. That's a reality. I need someone to witness my identity and affirm me and say, that is good. So that when other people affirm my identity, I feel deeply secure in it. When others do not see and affirm my identity, I feel deeply insecure and I begin to question it. Which means I am constantly having to express my identity before others and seek their affirmation and acknowledgement. As adults, uh, I think we mostly express our identities through our achievements. Achievements that other people can see and validate, right? Other people can look at my identity as a successful business person through my achievements. Or maybe I need to be a great boss and I need other people to see that or a great parent or a great artist or a great student or, or just somebody who's living the Colorado lifestyle. We're constantly expressing our identities, not just through our achievements, but even in the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, and the stories we tell, and the cars we drive. I just bought a new car. It's actually a really old car. But even when I was buying it, I was thinking like, this is going to express something about who I am that may not be who I am. And it's like this conundrum, right? But we express ourselves even in the products we buy and the pictures we post online because we're longing for likes, right? We're longing not like for people to see us and affirm us and say that is good. And it's exhausting because there's never enough affirmation. It's also exhausting because you know what it's done? It's created a marketplace of competing identities. Alan Noble writes this, everyone is on their own private journey of self-discovery and self-expression so that at times modern life feels like billions of people in the same room shouting their own name so that everyone else can know they exist and who they are which is a fairly accurate description of social media, right? And this is the reason why for so many of us, social media can be so exhausting and we just want to give up on it. It's also the reason why we keep going back to it. That's why social media is so integral to modern life because it provides 
the best and easiest way for us to express ourselves to the most number of people who can then give us the affirmation that we're so desperately longing for. And it would be easy to say, well, that's just life. That's just the way it is. No, it's not. It's an entirely modern phenomenon. It's not something that people dealt with, creating their identities, expressing their identities, and then going through identity crises in their life when they're not receiving affirmation and they're questioning their identities. You read ancient stories or biographies of people, nobody in the past had identity crises. They faced all kinds of other crises in their life, but never an identity crisis. That is a modern phenomenon. And it's grounded in the creed that I am my own. And I belong to myself. Uh, a second responsibility of self-belonging, I am responsible for making a difference. Or you could put it this way, I am responsible for justifying my existence, for offering something to this world, for giving meaning to my life, because we need that as humans, right? We, we need meaning and purpose. But if I am my own, and it's up to me, and I belong to myself, then I have to find meaning for myself. It's up for me to figure out my purpose in life. It's up to me to figure out what it means to be a good person, what it means to make a difference in the world, what it means to do what's right. And of course, there's lots of people offering suggestions about that. There are many traditions, even faith traditions, offering suggestions about that. There's institutions there are many product developers offering suggestions about what the good life is and how they can help you live it. But it's up to us, just like our identity, it's up to us to navigate the endless choices and options that are available and then make the right decision. And then we have to feel like it's right. right? I have to feel like my life matters. I have to feel like I've made the right Choices. I have to feel like I'm actually making a difference, like it's actually worth it. And we're always questioning that. It's always being contested. And our feelings are always changing. And so when our work doesn't feel very meaningful anymore, then we go searching for new work that will feel more meaningful. When a relationship doesn't feel very meaningful anymore, we go searching for a new relationship that will feel more meaningful. When our values aren't working anymore, we go searching for new values that will feel more meaningful. And it's no wonder that psychologists are, are coming to the conclusion that they're seeing the sense that all of this uh, need to find meaning in our life and to make a difference is on our shoulders and it's creating so much anxiety and so much depression when we've worked so hard for it and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything. It doesn't feel like it's worth it. The burden can be overwhelming. One more implication. I am my own and I belong to myself means that I am responsible for improving, optimizing, and perfecting my life. See, if you're on your own, and you're on a process, a, a journey of self-discovery. And that journey includes endlessly creating and recreating and expressing your identity over and over and over and figuring out what's meaningful, figuring out what your purpose is, figuring out how you can make a difference. Then it ultimately must be a journey of progress, of moving closer and closer and closer to your truest, fullest, most meaningful, most secure version 
of yourself. Or as we often say, moving towards living the best version of myself. Which means the journey is one of constantly improving, constantly optimizing, constantly perfecting my life. And we have every possible tool at our disposal to do that, right? Every leadership book is designed to help you be a better leader. Every parenting podcast is designed to help you be a better parent. Every new piece of gear that REI has on their shelves every single year is designed to help you be a better hiker, a better camper, a better snowboarder, a better mountain biker, right? Every new productivity app is designed to help us be what? More productive, get more done, be more efficient. Every new workout regimen, every new nutrition plan is designed to help us be healthier. And there's always something new to consider, right? There's always more work to be done, more resolutions to be made, more good habits I need to start, more bad habits I need to stop, and the goal is always progress. If there is any value that is most uncontested and unquestioned in our culture, it is the value of progress, of optimizing and perfecting ourselves. And this is perhaps the most exhausting responsibility of all, right? If I'm not constantly improving my image, improving my brand, improving my lifestyle, improving my health, improving my faith, improving my work, improving my parenting, improving my grades, improving my resume, improving my time management skills, improving my vacations. This year needs to be way better than last year. Improving my hobbies, right? If I'm not constantly getting better, then I feel like what? A failure. I feel like I'm working so hard and it's not worth it. And these responsibilities, they pile up over and over and over and they drive so much of our behavior And it feels like we're simply pushing this boulder up a hill and never finding rest. Now next week, we're going to unpack this a little bit more and talk about how society has helped create this, how we actually try to cope with these burdens and responsibilities. But I want to close today by just sharing with you real quickly how the Bible describes this. Because the Bible actually has a word for all of this, um, for this creed that we have embraced and what it's doing to us. And I need to warn you, it's an old-fashioned word. It's a very biblical word and idea, but it captures so well, and perhaps it will jolt us into seeing this creed for what it really is. I want to read just four verses from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. He was a guy who had this message for the people of Israel, and here's what he said. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are born by beasts of burden. Uh, real quick, Bell and Nebo are Babylonian gods. Uh, Babylon was this ancient nation. It was the biggest and most powerful nation in the world at the time. It was right next to Israel. And uh, the idols that they worshipped were these carved statues of these two gods. This is an actual statue of Nebo that archaeologists uncovered. It's from the exact time of Isaiah. It's in a museum in Iraq today. And this statue would have been carried from town to town 
in the Babylonian empire in a procession so that people could come out and worship and celebrate the gods. These idols were carried uh, by servants and they were often placed on top of a cart borne by oxen. So this is what Isaiah is describing. He continues, the images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. So basically what Isaiah is saying is these idols, these statues, they're really heavy. They're a burden to carry. They wear you out. They never get lighter. As you carry them from town to town, they just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And there's no rest, no rescue, no relief for the ones bearing the burdens. And of course, Isaiah is actually using this as a metaphor because what actually happened is the Israelites started worshiping these idols as well. And eventually Babylon came in and conquered Israel and they carried the people off into captivity. And so what Isaiah is doing, he's trying to make a point. He's saying, the problem with you, Israel, is when you stopped worshiping God and you started worshiping these idols. Now, Isaiah and the other Old Testament prophets, they will talk about this problem of idolatry over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. And oftentimes we sort of skip through it because the prophets are kind of hard to read. And it's easy to just see it literally for what it is, worshiping these statues. But essentially what the prophets are saying is that idolatry is whenever you worship anything other than God. It's whenever you treat anything as God that is not God. It's whenever you displace God and put something else in his place. And the most common form of idolatry is when we put ourselves in his place. It's when we put ourselves at the center. It's when we become the God of our own lives. In fact, uh, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They're told, like, don't eat from this one tree. And the snake comes along and the snake's like, who told you that? That's silly. That's a dumb rule. Why are you going to do that? You can do what you want. You have the right to make your own choices. And then the snake literally says, if you'll just do whatever you want, when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be open and you will become like God. You see, that is the temptation that is at the bottom of all temptations to simply be like God, to become my own God, to declare I am my own and I belong to nobody but myself. Now, in this instance, Isaiah doesn't get all mad and angry. The prophets usually do that. But he doesn't get on his soapbox and say, the problem with you is you're this dirty, rotten sinner and you're worshiping yourselves and you're worshiping that. No, no, no. He actually just says, do you know how exhausting it is when you become your own God? Do you know how weary and burdensome it is when you believe you are your own and you belong only to yourself. I mean, yeah, it's, it's exhilarating at first. And, and yes, it's the message you hear in every single aspect of your lives. And so we don't even question it anymore. And it's the reason you're so exhausted and empty because you're constantly creating 
and questioning your identity and then recreating it and questioning it and expressing it and needing the validation and affirmation from others so that you can feel secure in it. You're constantly trying to make sense of life and make meaning for life and try to make a difference in life. You're constantly trying to improve and optimize and perfect your journey to your best self. And there is no end in sight to which God says through the prophet Isaiah, listen to me. You descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Do you see what God is saying? He's saying, I am the opposite. I am not a burden that you have to carry. Just like Jesus said last week, I am the one who, when you're tired and worn out from all the burdens you're carrying, will lift you up and carry you. When you're exhausted, when you can't walk anymore, when the weight is so unbearable and you can't carry it anymore, I will relieve you and rescue you and carry you. But it begins... Only when you come to a very different conclusion that is so, so different that you are not your own and that I am not my own because God made us and he carries us and he sustains us and only he can rescue us. Let me pray. God, we um, do acknowledge um, some of us in here are probably very weary and exhausted from the work and the pressures and the anxiety and the burdens and the needs and the longings and everything it feels like we're carrying. And so God, I pray that you would, like Jesus said, give us the humility and honesty to admit we're trying to do too much on our own. And whatever it takes, help us to come to you and put our trust and our faith in you and ask you to rescue us from that. I pray this in your name.